Father, thank you, God, that we can come as we are. Lord, broken, undone, weak, unable, destroyed, hungry, thirsty. Thank you that we can come to you, an almighty God, just like we are. We're all messed up. We've got all kinds of problems. None of us has got it all figured out. And we acknowledge that before you, our King. God, that we desperately need you. But the miracle happens in the fact that we can come to you just like we are. We can come to you just like we are, and we can just simply ask. And Father, what a great and glorious thing that is. And what a great and glorious God you are. Thank you for not being a dead God. Or an empty God. Or a God that doesn't care about us or doesn't hear us. Thank you for being real and present in our lives. And God, I just pray that right now we would tune into your Holy Spirit as you speak to us and you speak truth into our life. God, I pray that as we come to you right now, Lord, as we simply ask, God, that you would incline your ear to us. And God, you would hear us as we cry out to you from our hearts. Lord, you know what we're in desperate need of. You know better than we know what's broken inside of us and what needs repair. So, Lord, I pray that you do surgery right now in our hearts. God, and that you are glorified through the change that happens as a result of the power of your word through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, we've been in a series called Fearless the past couple of weeks. We're going to continue that at least through Easter. Um, and, and I guess when I talk about fears, there's one thing that I cannot deny, I cannot not talk about, and that is something that I used to really struggle with, and I don't know why it was necessarily, but I really used to struggle with the fear of death. Um, I had a buddy of mine, he was a, he was a fellow minister, and he used to say this, he said, I'm not afraid of dying, he said, I'm afraid of getting dead. You know, and I kind of identified with that. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to pass from this life to the next, but it's another thing to get eaten by an alligator. You know what I mean? Like, like you don't want to have to endure that short period of, of, of difficulty to get to the other side, right? Like, that's the part that he was afraid of. Or, or, or skydiving and the parachute doesn't work. You know, those, those, even though it's only 60 seconds, it feels like an eternity before you hit the ground. That's the part that really scared me at one point in time in my life. It wasn't the dying part, it was the getting dead part, right? Uh, and, and I can tell you this, that I think this is hilarious, by the way. The fact that the, there, there, if you look at statistics and what statistics say about fear, there is one fear that is very prevalent, and that is the fear of death, right? So that is, that is an extremely prevalent fear in everybody's heart, okay? Do you know what actually ranks above the fear of death? Do you happen to know what that is? The fear of public speaking. <laughs> Everybody's like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, uh-huh. So, so this is worse than dying, okay? Um, <laughs> that's a joke, just kidding. So it's actually, uh, I heard a comedian say this one time. He said it's actually better to be in the coffin than the person doing the eulogy. Apparently, it's what that statistics tells us, that, that that's how bad it is, you know, that, that public speaking is that bad. <laughs> it's, it's worse to actually be the one having to do the speaking than the person in the coffin. So uh, that's, that's how fears rank, it turns out. So I think that's pretty interesting to me. Uh, but for whatever reason, man, 
people, people, they fear death. They really do. And I don't, I don't necessarily know that as Christians we're exempt from that. I think that as Christians we're supposed to learn from that. I think that we're supposed to examine that. We're supposed to look at our fear of death and say, why does it exist? What is it that we're really struggling with? Uh, you know, I, I believe that, you know, we've talked about how, how we look at God and we see how big God is and, and our, our problems and our worries and our fears start to diminish the bigger God gets. And we talked about last week how Paul, he was like beaten to the point of death. Like they thought he was dead and they drug him out of the town. And, and when he was out there, a group of believers got around him, they prayed over him and he stood up and he walked right back into town where they had almost stoned him to death and he walked right back in the, in the middle of that. And what Paul says is this, he says, he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now what he's saying is, is, is that basically this, that, that my life belongs to Christ and as long as I'm alive, that I'm going to do what Christ wants me to do. That my life belongs to him. But when I die, if they were to take me out of this world because of my love for Christ, then all I have to inherit as a result of that is the kingdom of God. All I have to inherit after I pass from this life to the next, if I have been obedient to Jesus Christ, if I have followed him in every single way in my life, then all I have to look for is to look forward to is to being with Christ if I pass from this life to the next. And you know what the reality is? It's difficult for us to get a hold of that. It really is. It's difficult for us to grasp that and hang on to that truth. And I really believe that that the, the only way I, I've personally experienced in order to be able to get to that place in, in, in order for, for death to not have such a grip on me as far as fear is concerned is having tasted death and gotten very close to death. Having someone who is very close to me pass away and pass from this life to the next. That, that has really been the thing that has been transformative in my life to bringing me to the point where I do not fear death. I, I, I do not fear death at all. I don't even fear getting eaten by an alligator anymore. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, like, I, I do not fear death anymore. Because I, I looked in my daughter's eyes when, when she died. I, I, I was there when she took her last breath. When we, the doctor had his, had his hand on her, on her ankle, and I didn't really recognize until later on what he was doing. He was feeling her pulse, and he could feel it in her ankle, and and we could see the monitor showing her heartbeat, and we could see that she was responding. You could see her breathing patterns increase. You could see her heart rate increase, depending on the things that we said to her. And, and, and they had to, to ask us if, if we wanted her to, to have more medicine in order that she would stop seizing. And, and we told the doctor, yes, we want her to have the medicine if it will stop her from suffering, if it will keep her from having these seizures over and over again, because we know that what that's doing to her and... The doctor gave the orders to give. He said, if I do this, there's a very good chance that it may cease her breathing if, if, if this happens. And I said, I do not want her to continue to seize. I want you to give her the medicine. And we prayed to God and we thanked God for the life that she had and the, the time that we got to spend with her. And, and we saw the monitor stop. We saw it completely flatline. And we prayed again and we thanked God again for her being in our life and the time that we got to spend with her. And I, I just, I remember it so vividly. I remember it so vividly. I'm not afraid of death. I, I'm just not. I, I mean, I've been there. I've seen it. I saw somebody that I love pass on. 
And yeah, it's hard. It's gut-wrenching. And it still makes me sick in my stomach to talk about it. But I'm not afraid of it. There's a movie a few years ago that came out called Courageous. You remember that movie? It was a Christian movie. And it was the police officers and all that stuff. And we were going into the movie to watch it. We were going into the movie to watch it. And uh, there were people that were coming out of the movie. And if you know anything about the movie, you know that the, the little girl in the movie dies. And, and, and the guy was, there, there were people coming out of the movie, and, and they, were, they knew what had happened in the movie. And people were begging us, me and my wife, they said, please don't go watch this movie. Stay out here. I'll pay you for your ticket. Just don't go in the movie. It's going to be too hard. It's going to be too difficult for you to watch this little girl in this movie die. I'm a crier, right? I cry at everything. I watched that movie and I never shed a tear. I never shed a tear. There was only one time when I got close. And I'll tell you what it was. There's a spot in the movie where there's a pastor talking to the dad. And this is what he says. This is what he says. He says, people that experience what you've experienced have a closeness with God that most of us will never know. I still get chill bumps to this day listening to those words because that is absolutely true. I am closer to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. I love Him more now than I ever did before because my daughter died. I can say that with 100% assurance and clarity and people are like, that sounds crazy. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. But I know my relationship with Him. I know how much I love Him. I know what He has done in my life. I know how He has restored my heart and knit it back together. Because it was in pieces. It was literally broken up into pieces. And it was in shambles. And God said, I'm, if you'll let me, if you'll draw close to me, if you'll lean into me at this time, I will be the source of your strength. And you don't have to stand. I'll stand for you and I will hold you up when you can't stand on your own. And I decided to lean into God. And the more I leaned into God, the more He called me to obey Him. And the more I obeyed Him, the more I needed to lean into God. And there was this growth process that happened in this continual building of the relationship of Jesus, with Jesus Christ that, that was so transformative in my life. And I can't deny it, and I can't stop talking about it. And I'll continue to bore you to death talking about the things that I have endured in my life. But it is my testimony, and it is what Jesus Christ has done in and through me. And I will talk about it and I will shout it from the rooftops till the day that I die. Because God is good. Even in death, God is good. Even when you're scared to death and scared of death, God is good. We're going to look at, at Jesus' disciples in a boat. Everybody's heard this story a million times. Uh, that's great. That's wonderful. I just want to point out a few things. I just want to take just a few minutes to point out these guys and where they were and what Jesus was trying to teach them and show them through the process of them being scared to death. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, we'll start in verse 22. Jesus has just finished talking and teaching like he always did. Uh, he talked about, uh, the, I believe it's the parable of the sower. 
and scattering seeds. He talked about the, the parable of, of the lamp. He talks about what it means to be in the true family of Jesus. And, and he's been teaching, and, and, and people start to follow around Jesus after he's been teaching. They, they want to go wherever he's, he's going. And sometimes Jesus, in order to reach different people, he would, he would have to get away from the people he was around Sometimes he had to do that so he could go and be by himself. Sometimes he had to do that so he could go and just be with his disciples and teach them for a little while. There were different reasons why Jesus did this, but one of the ways that Jesus did this was to get in a boat. Because if he walked, it was pretty easy for people to follow him, right? They would, if Jesus started walking that way to follow Jesus, I just got to walk where Jesus walks, right? Well, the trouble is, if he's in a boat and I don't have a boat... He's getting away from me, okay? Like, I know that's common sense, but that's the way Jesus did it. Like, he was a pretty simple guy, right? <laughs> like, I got a boat, you don't. You stay here. Maybe we'll see you in a little while, but right now I got to go somewhere else, you know? And, and that's what happened. A lot of times they would get in a boat and they would travel somewhere else. And this particular instance, we find them in a boat. They're going to the other side. Uh, it's the Sea of Galilee, the, the Sea of Kinneret, or the, the Lake Kinneret is what it's called. It's in... I guess what you would say, northeast Israel. Uh, if, you picture, uh, if you picture where Jerusalem is, this would be way up north and east of there. And anyway, so him and his disciples would get in a boat, and they would go to the other side. And, and here, the thing we know about this lake, it is a, it is a lake that is, is very tumultuous. It is known to have like crazy winds and waves that come up as a result, and they come out of nowhere. Uh, the sea kind of sits down in a bowl, so winds will sweep down in, into this bowl, and they will whip up the water, and there'll be crazy winds and crazy waves that will come out of nowhere all of a sudden. So it was kind of a tough place to, to, to be in, you know? It was a tough place to row your boat, for sure. And, and here are these guys, they they get in the boat, and they, 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 they're headed to the other side. Maybe they're going across one corner of the Sea of Galilee. And, and here we find them uh, in the middle of a very difficult situation. Picture yourself in whatever difficult situation you may be in. Whatever difficult situation that you can see on the horizon. Whatever difficult situation you may have just come out of. Picture yourself and see if you can identify with where these guys are. And their voice of desperation as they cry out to Jesus. One day Jesus says to his disciples, let's cross the other side of the lake. So they got in the boat and started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon a fierce storm came down the lake, down on the lake. The boat was filling with water and they were, they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. So here you see... These guys, several of them were fishermen, right? Several of these guys fished for a living. So they spent a lot of time on the water. They knew what it was like to sail. They knew what it was like to be in a boat. They, they knew how to handle even treacherous waters, as a matter of fact. Because you can imagine, if you're a sailor, there's going to be, at some point, you're going to be stuck out in the middle of a lake, and a storm's going to roll up, especially if they roll up out of nowhere. There's going to be times where you don't see the storm coming. And here's a situation where they didn't necessarily see the storm coming. Now, situations roll up in our lives all the time. Storms come into our lives all the time without us really seeing them coming, right? It's usually on some idle Tuesday is when, 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 when the most difficult things pop into our lives and we say, I didn't see that. 
For me in my life, it, it, was, it was when my daughter had just had a bunch of friends over and to spend the night party and, and we thought she was just tired and she fell asleep in the tub. And it turns out the reason she was sleeping is because she had the tu- a tumor inside her brain that was the size of an orange. I didn't see that coming. I didn't anticipate that that was going to be how I was going to spend that evening sitting in an ER looking at the doctor as he told me that my daughter had a tumor in her brain. I didn't know that that was going to happen. I just thought she was tired from the sleepover. I, I just thought it was a normal day. And I imagine when they got in this boat, I imagine they thought the same thing. Man, it's just another day on the, on the water for us. We've done this before. We can do it again. It's not going to be a problem. Not going to be any rough waters ahead. And before they know it, man, the winds have whipped up. Water's crashing over the edge of the boat. (laughs) And where is Jesus? Jesus is all torn up, isn't he? Jesus is frazzled, pulling out his hair, wondering what's going to happen. Jesus is crying and weeping, going, we're going to perish. No, he's taking a nap. Jesus is curled up in the front of the boat with his his wooby, and he's, he's taking a nap. That's got to be frustrating, right? I'm thinking if I'm dying and I got Jesus with me, I at least want him to be awake. You know what I'm saying? Like I at least want him to know what's going on. And here he is. He's curled up in the front of the boat taking a nap. And I'm going like, man, ain't you at least a little seasick? You know, I mean, like we're rocking back and forth. The waves are crashing over the side. And Jesus is taking a nap. I I just, I, I, there's not a lot of, a lot of commentaries about, you know, this particular situation where uh, the disciples probably had some conversations. And I, I, you know, I just try to imagine me being in that situation. And I'm, you know, I'm talking to Peter, or, you know, maybe I'm one of the lesser disciples. Maybe I'm like James the Less or something. I don't know. But anyway, so I'm just like, hey, man, this ain't good, you know. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed, but there was like a four-foot wave over my head just a minute ago, and it crashed down, and I can't even see straight right now. And your buddy Jesus, he's asleep, you know. I think we ought to wake him up, you know. Like, and then they probably have this little conversation amongst themselves. Oh, who's going to be the guy to wake him up? Well, you go do it, man. Oh, he's closer to you. Oh, he healed your mother-in-law. You better go do it, you know, like. Yeah, but he got on to me the other day. I said something stupid. He's going to get on to me again for coming and waking him up. He's God, you know. Surely he needs a nap, you know. He's, he's been doing a lot of miracles lately. He's been doing a lot of teaching. You know, he, he's brought dead people to life. I'm sure that's, that's exhausting work, you know what I mean? Like you would think, you know, maybe they're like having this conversation. <laughs> I just, I, I just picture so many things when I think about the disciples. Because these are just ordinary guys, right? Uh, sailors and tax collectors and, and, and just like ordinary dudes. And, and they've got to be going like, I don't know what we've got to do, guys. What do we got to do? So eventually, somebody goes up and taps on Jesus. Hey. Hey, JC. Um, <laughs> hey, man. Uh, I don't... I don't know how to say this, but we're dying. We're dying, man. This is not good. We thought, look, dude, we tried to let you sleep, okay? We thought, you know, hey, he deserves a nap. You know, we tried to let you sleep. 
I mean, he's been, he's been shutting down funerals and telling people that, that you really that, that this person is not dead. They're really alive. They're just sleeping. And, and he went and brought them from death to life. And, and we thought you needed a nap. And we were okay with that, man. But it's really bad outside. Uh, we're like drowning, you know, like, like we're, we're drowning out here. And it's not, it's not good. Don't you feel that way sometimes? Like, you're sinking, you're drowning, and, and like, I don't know if Jesus knows. I don't know if Jesus has any clue what's going on with me right now. I've been praying, I've been asking, I, I've, been, I, I've been just face down before. I've been listening to worship songs on the radio back and forth to work, and I, I just thought for sure if I did that stuff that God would hear me and God would, he, he would know what was going on in my situation. It just seems like God doesn't know what's going on. It just seems like Jesus is indifferent to the situation. I know we've all felt that way at some point in time. Like, Jesus, would you wake up? Come on, man. I'm drowning here. We're perishing. We're dying. Jesus, please do something. Do you think for a second Jesus didn't know what was going on on that boat? I mean, he created the waves. He created the wood that made the boat. You think he didn't know for just one second what was going on in their lives? Do you think possibly, just possibly, that Jesus had a hand in the storm? That this storm happened at the hands of a sovereign God who commands the wind and the waves? Do you think for just for a minute that maybe not only, not only did he not know did he know what was going on, but not only that, maybe he created the storm. Maybe the storm came into their life because Jesus said, You need to learn something. You need to be taught something here. And yes, it's going to be fearful and it's going to be difficult and you think you're going to be dying, but understand that I made the storm. Understand that I made the storm. Because you need to be taught something and God needs to be glorified. And that's the only way this is going to, be, going to happen is if the storm comes. As if the storm comes. Master, Master, we're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. Suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. Then he asked them, where is your faith? Now I want you to know something here. If it was just luck that Jesus stood up and said, shh, and the winds calmed down, that would be one thing. But it, does, it, it doesn't just say that the wind stopped. It says that the, the waves calmed down too. You know why it says that? Because if the winds would have just stopped, the waves would have kept rocking, right? That would have just been a natural phenomenon, but he had to prove that he was God. So not only did the wind stop, but the waves stopped instantaneously when he spoke. He doesn't just command the wind, he commands the waves too. The, the, the waves are, 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 are what, what's caused by the wind, and, and he calmed all of it. He calmed it all, and in, in an instant, it was done, it was over with. And it was finished, because Jesus commanded it. Because Jesus commanded it. And he got up, and he asked them this question. He said, where is your faith? His question was this. What is your faith in? 
Where does your faith lie? What, what, what do you have faith in right now? Do you, have, do you have faith in this boat? Do you have, have faith in your ability to, to row the boat or to sail the boat? Where, where does your faith really lie? Is it, is it in me? Is it in, in what we're trying to do here? The fact that the kingdom of God is coming and it's our job to expose that and show that. And, and where is your faith? What, what is your faith in right now? And I think too many times, I think too many times we have faith in so much else besides Jesus Christ. I think we have faith in so many other things besides the fact that Jesus is right there in the boat with us. And that he knows and he commands the wind and he commands the waves and he knows exactly what's going on in your life. He says, where is your faith? And I almost believe that Jesus is is almost chastising them here. Do you really believe that with me in the boat with you, do you really believe that I brought us all this way so that you could perish, so that God's uh, mission wouldn't be accomplished Don't you see what God has done? I mean, Jesus was notorious for shutting down funerals and bringing people to life and cleansing lepers and and just transforming people that that were were born with deformities and couldn't couldn't walk or couldn't, couldn't see. It was all for a purpose to show that he was God. And and he's been doing this over and over again. And these guys have been witnesses to that. And all of a sudden the question becomes: what is your faith in? What is your faith really in? Is it in your abilities? Is it it in in what you have made, what you have created? He says, where is your faith? Where is your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Terrified and amazed. What were they terrified of? It wasn't a storm anymore. It wasn't. They were terrified of the fact that they were in the presence of a holy God. They were in the presence of the one who created the waves, who created the storm, who created the winds. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want real fear? Fear the Lord. Fear, fear what, what, what can be done by the Lord, the God who created everything, what He can do, the power that exists in Him. That's where real fear is supposed to exist in our life. And every, There's not a lot of people talking about fear of the Lord these days. Because people don't like to think about how powerful God is and the fact that we should obey His commands and we're supposed to follow Him because that's real difficult and we, 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 we struggle with that. So there's not a whole lot of people talking about following Jesus. These guys, they saw His power and they saw who He was and they saw that He was God and they were terrified and amazed. When you come in the presence of a, of a, of a glorious God like this, when you are in, in His midst, you are both terrified and amazed at His power. And that's exactly where these disciples stand at this point in time. They say, who is this man? They asked each other. When He gives command, even the wind and the waves obey Him. So I got to thinking about this, this whole story here. It's a, it's a short little passage, only... A few verses. And I got to thinking about the storms in our life, where they come from, how we deal with them, where our faith is. And I got to thinking about the Jesus that we serve and the Jesus that we follow. And and the God whom we worship. I got to thinking about that. 
And I got to thinking about in our storms, we so much, we so desire that God will just fix everything and everything would be okay. We so desire that he will calm the wind and calm the storms and we just want God to say yes and everything be done and everything be fixed and everything be put back together and we don't have to worry about anything anymore. Like I want you in your mind to conceptually, you can write this down if you're taking notes or whatever, write one column that says this, it says Jesus doing what I want him to do. Jesus just saying yes, Jesus just fixing everything. And then I want you to put another column, because I want you to kind of get your priorities in order here a little bit. What is most important to you, that you, have a, you serve a God that just says yes to the things that you need, and just does exactly what you want Him to do, or this other column, I want you to put over here, I want a God who cares for me. I want a God who cares for me. You think about that. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your worries on Him, for He cares for you. Knows the number of hairs on your head. Knows exactly every detail about your body, about your mind, everything that's going on. Don't you want a God who cares for you? Isn't that way more important than a God that just fixes everything and says yes? A God who cares intimately about you? Isn't that really the most important thing? What about this? What about a God who is with you? A God who is with you. Very real, very present. Here he was in the boat with the disciples. Don't think for a second that God's not with you. The only way that God's not with you is if you have left him. Deuteronomy 31.6 He says, don't be afraid. Be strong. Be courageous. For I am have gone before you, I will be with you. I will be with you. If I had the choice between a God that would just fix everything and a God that would be with me, I choose a God who will be with me. I, I choose a God who's going to be standing right there beside me in the midst of the storm, holding my hand while I'm going through it. I would rather have that kind of God than I had a God that just says, it's going to be alright, it's all fine, I'll take care of everything. I want you to see the intimacy of the God that we serve, the intimacy of the God that we pray to and worship and, and how he loves us and cares for us. And he's we're, there right there with us. That's what matters the most to me. Not a God who just says, yes, you can have whatever you desire, whatever you want. I'll make it all right. I'll be with you. I care for you. He hears you. He hears you. God listens to you. Can you pause for just a minute in your life and think about the fact that God listens to you? That you can have conversation with the same God that created the whole universe, that put the stars in the sky, that created your body, that created everything that you've known or seen, that guy listens to you. This is what it says in Psalms 56, 9. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know. For God is for me. In God I will praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. 
when I cry unto thee that I can cry to God. I can speak to God. And he hears me. It literally says he inclines his ear to us. That means from heaven he reaches down and just listens like this to when we speak. Wrap your mind around that. Do you want that kind of God? Or a God who just says, yeah, whatever you need. He cares for you. He's with you. He listens to you. And what about this one? The last one. I'm not a list guy, but this, this, it was important to have this list, I think. How about the fact that he is powerful? How about the fact that he is ultimately powerful above everything? That yes, indeed, he was able to calm the storm. But yes, indeed, nothing happens outside the sovereign hand of God. So he created the storm. God allows this to happen. To show us his power. To show us that we need to lean into him. To show us that we don't need anything else but him. And that's the whole purpose. And if we miss that, then we miss everything. The power of God, and the same God that when Elijah cried out from Mount Carmel, he, 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 said, he said, there's 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. He said, how long are you going to waver between two opinions? How long are you either going to try to be with God and still worship Baal and worship Asherah? How long are you going to continue to do that? He said, you guys go make an altar. I'll go make an altar to the true God and whoever he is, whichever one is really God and shows himself, then you worship him. You worship him. And they cry out and try to do all this kind of stuff and cut themselves. And Elijah prays to God. He says, God, you have heard me before and you'll hear me again. And these people need to know who you are. God, show yourself. And the altar was consumed, all the fire, and it just consumed the sacrifice and the water and everything. It consumed it all. And he showed his power. He showed his power. What does that look like for me and you? What does that look like for me and you? When you put your faith and trust in God alone and say, God, no matter what happens, I trust you and you alone and your way and your will because you know what's better for me than I know what's better for me. So I completely trust you. And when devastation and storms come into your life and you say, I trust God. I choose to trust God, and that's where my faith resides, and that's where I continue to let my faith be held. It's in the one true God. And people see that from the outside. It looks like an altar covered with water, consumed by fire. The true power of God. The true power of God in people's lives when their hearts are, are put back together because they put their faith and they, their trust in Him and Him alone. And they didn't rely on any doctors or, or, or any medical exams or any nurses to do that. They allowed God to. And God's the one that knit their hearts back together like nobody else could. That they were the sacrifice. They put their lives in His hands and said, God, whatever you have, I trust you. I put my faith in you. I fully belong to you. To live as Christ and to die as gain. You are what matters, God. I don't fear death anymore because all it, all it means is, is for me to live for you and I want to live for you so I can be with you. I don't want to fear death anymore because death doesn't hold any grip on me. Jesus, you are my all. You are what I desire. You are my, where my faith resides.
We need more people asking God, strengthen my faith instead of healing my situation. We need more people saying, God, I want to be an example for you and your kingdom, and I want people to come into your kingdom because they have seen my faith and they see just what you can do in a person's life. We need more people asking God for their faith to be exhibited before men than for God to heal their situation. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I say this a lot, but it's, it's so powerful. They were going to throw them into the fiery furnace. And they said, my God will rescue us, rescue us. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and worship the idols you have set up. Our faith resides in God, in God alone. And nothing will shake us from that. Not even burning us alive will shake us from that. It's the same thing that, that Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. Because there are disciples that, that were burned at the stake, crucified on an X-shaped cross. Some of them, their brains were bludgeoned out with a club. I know it sounds gross and it sounds grotesque, but that's the truth. That's how they died. You know why they died that way? Because they professed Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. And they wouldn't shut up about how good and how glorious God was. And because of that, they, they died for Christ, for his message, for his kingdom. And they would not be shaken for that, from that because you know what mattered the most? Jesus mattered the most. Not their life. Jesus mattered the most. Their faith mattered the most. And these disciples that were in that boat, they learned this lesson and they learned it well. And they kept professing Jesus Christ even when their lives were on the line. And death didn't matter to them anymore. What mattered most to them was Jesus Christ and his message. What matters most to you in your life? Is it your situation being fixed or Jesus being glorified? Which one? Which one? That's not an easy message to preach and that's not an easy message to hear. Which one matters more to you? I hope that, that you'll look at this and you'll see this as a source of encouragement not, not a source of Kenny just beating us up. This is a source of encouragement that, that, that Jesus is the one that, even though it doesn't look like it, even though, even though it doesn't look like, like our situation's fixed, he mends the heart. What's going on here is the heart change. That's what matters the most. Who cares about the physical body? What matters is the heart. And that's what Jesus is changing. And that's what Jesus wants to change in your life. That's exactly what he desires to change in your life is your heart. So that death does not even matter anymore. What matters is your heart for Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for the testimony of these disciples and their willingness to follow you even to the cross. Their willingness to die for the message, the message of hope that exists only in Jesus Christ. There are people here Lord, they're going through terrible, terrible storms and tragedies and difficulties and people have lost loved ones and, and people are struggling with disease. And, and God, you know every single need that is in this place. God, you know every single fear that is in our hearts. You know the people in this room that are fearing death right now. It is overwhelming them. It is controlling them. I pray that it would not have that control. 
I pray that you would do a great work through the storm and you would change their heart and mend their heart and show them that Jesus Christ is the answer. That no matter what happens to the physical body, the only thing that matters is the heart. Lord, when people fall down and they draw close to you, God, they experience that. When they've tasted death, God, and they lean on you, they get to experience that healing, that joy that surpasses all understanding. That's the source of the joy. That's where it comes from. Trusting in you, having faith in you. I pray that you would challenge people with a question right now in their hearts. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? What do you trust? Lord, I know there are people that need healing in this place. God, I always pray for physical healing, but I pray more importantly for healing of the heart because I believe that's the most important thing. So God, do a great work in the hearts of the people that are here. God, you know their needs. You know exactly where they are. And you are right beside them. You are standing beside them, holding their hand in the midst of the storm. God, show them, show them your power by healing their heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone please stand?